Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent health care provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Zero Ducks Given, and it's it's a Toby-free episode this week, and I think we're all happy about that. So all of you tune in to hear his wittering, delete this now. But for the 99.98% of you who are still remaining, Finny is here. Finny, you are here, aren't you? I, I'm here, yeah. No robberies outside my flat this week, hopefully. Um, that was extraordinary. Yeah, I've closed the blinds today, so if it does happen... I can look out covertly without anyone realising that I'm looking at them stealing catalytic converters off the bottom of my neighbour's car. So hopefully that doesn't happen again this week. Yeah, what did you do? Did you report it to the police? By the way, for those people who are tuning into episode 35, having not heard episode 34 last week, Finney uh, left the podcast briefly because he thought that his downstairs neighbour was being burgled. And it turned out that, in fact, Somebody else's car on his street was having their catalytic converter removed by three men with balaclavas and baseball bats. Yep, spot on. So the safe streets of northwest London hopefully remain safe for another evening. Extraordinarily terrifying. Uh, anything happened to you of any import this week? Um, let me think. I had a back spasm today, which just confirms to me that I am old. And that wasn't even doing anything either. It was just getting out of bed, had a back spasm. So... Um, I'm sure Sussex is going to be happy with that, that they've um, that they've signed that for a couple of years. Have you, you have um, signed the contract, have you? It's all done. It's, yeah, done and dusted, yeah. Sweet, <laughs> doesn't make sweet. Nothing to worry about. Lovely. So yeah. I'm, I'm walking around in a, in a back brace at the moment, in a heated back brace. This is the point at which I'm going to bring in our guest. It is a man that will be very familiar to cricket fans around the world. 
a man who has slavishly devoted his life to uncovering really important and interesting information about what's happening at Derby, Worcester, Leicester, whether new floodlights will be going in at a variety of different grounds over the last 10 years, um, how chief executives are planning for the future in county cricket, as well as uncovering enormous stories in international cricket and a man who has announced his retirement after 10 years at Crick Info. It is none other than the Flight Inquiryist himself, George DeBell. Uh, George, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I, I feel guilty already for people who have been logging on to listen to Toby. It reminds me a little bit of the time you phoned me, I think, at very short notice and asked if I could help you out, and I drove to Wormsley. Do you remember? I didn't ask uh, you why. Oh, God, yes, yes. And it was the most humiliating night of my life, and there's a lot of contenders for that. Your night? Way. It was pretty bad of my night, too, as well, actually. So, so Finney, it turned out that when I got there, there was a huge amount of people, hundreds of people, and Norky here had to announce me, and he said, oh, there's a bit of a change on the schedule. <laughs> Instead of Raoul Dravid, we've got George Nivelle. <laughs> and honestly, you could... You could feel the exhaling of the gut. <laughs> and people were in such a hurry to leave. Literally, they, they were panicking to get out before I said anything. <laughs> yeah, let's to, be clear. You had to make let's another clear, announcement George. to ask people to be calm. It was, it was horrendous. <laughs> and, that, and let's put this in context. I think it was about 2014, wasn't it? And it wasn't my event. It was a, it was a crazy, wonderful woman called Katie Walker. Yeah, it was it was one of the most bizarre. It was called Words and Wickets. It was an extraordinary event that took place twice. They'd sold two hundred <laughs> tickets to Indian billionaires, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and and you didn't quite fit the bill. Let's be brutally honest, George. And I don't look, and it's not your fault. It's not my fault. Welcome to the show. Now then, I've got to do the thing that Toby does now, very briefly, which is explain what it is that we're going to say on the podcast. And very helpfully, my producer has, has given me some bullet points. And, and we are going to discuss these things quite genuinely seriously. The men's and women's tours of Pakistan have been called off after the New Zealand tour has been called off. We're going to get everybody's view on that, especially George's, because I know that you've been up all night writing about that. I want to talk about the T20 blast. We've seen some extraordinarily weird things happen in that game the, the, that day. The first game I listened to, I watched the first half and I listened to the rest of it on the radio. Mark Church brilliantly bringing home and in incredible Somerset win against Hampshire, against all the odds, only then to have their hearts broken. First of all, I think we need to address the elephant in the room. So there are people who will have no idea about it. And uh, one of them might be George. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but an enormous beef exists between Stephen Finn and George Bell, our esteemed guest who's on today. And I need to clear the air. I like to see myself in this particular moment as Jimmy Carter. It's Camp David, right? George DeBell is Moshi Diane. Right. Stephen Finn is Yazir Arafat. And there is problems in the Middle East. And I think it's basically because you two haven't been talking properly for years. <laughs> so I think where we've got to start with is Finney. What's the beef? And George, what the hell were you playing at? Finney. <laughs> You've obviously naturally over-egged the situation because you are Daniel Norcross and you're probably on your 3,000th cigarette of the day as you spark it up again in front of us into the microphone. <laughs> now, cricketers, we, we've got long memories and we, we don't 
enjoy or we're very precious let's say and I think we've spoken about it before on the pod but like different eras of English cricket when we weren't allowed to say much in press conferences and then it moved through into ones where we could be a bit more expressive and a bit more ourselves but in my early days of playing for England under Andy Flower we were sort of under strict instructions to be on message and say nothing else and I remember doing a press conference in Dubai and I'd actually bowled really well it was like the first time that I'd really felt like I was doing really well in the England team in the one day series and I did a press conference and George was there and came out of it and I delivered all the points that I thought I had and then I read the article the next day and I think George said something like one of the most boring English cricketers we've ever had <laughs> and it was it was something that brutal because I remember it to this day I was like Jesus Christ I, mean, I know I'm not the most charismatic person in the world but one of the most boring ever I was just googling it there trying to find George DeBell Stephen Finn boring but I couldn't find it. But I, I remember it. Finney, I've got a memory like Finney, that. Finny, 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 mate. You, you are you are not at what all. What are you going to do? You're going to tell me you spot on. You're sitting no, You're you're entirely scintillating. You're the most scintillating person. I was, <laughs> you're the most scintillating person I am looking at right now in the bottom left hand corner of my screen. You're, you're you're George. What the hell were you thinking of? There's nothing boring about Finny. I, well, I, I didn't I didn't know this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely, no, I mean, it, well, I'm genuinely really surprised to hear that story. And firstly, <laughs> if I wrote that, that's appallingly rude, and I'm sorry. Uh, genuinely, I, I, I don't, like, I, I mean, it was, someone will find it, won't they? I, I'd be able to find it, I guess. I'm amazed <laughs> that I'd have written anything, so... Um, so what did you think? So what did you think the beef was about? Because you thought that you knew what the beef was about, or you thought you might no, have I thought didn't. you knew what the beef was about. No, no. I mean, I don't. No, no, no. So the so hang on a minute. So, so look, okay. Now suddenly Jimmy Carter is extremely exposed here because in the no, red that corner, sounds like a completely reasonable beef to me. Well, <laughs> only if you wrote, only if, if, if I wrote, wrote that, and, 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 and uh, if I wrote that, I uh, wholeheartedly would apologise. That sounds <laughs> crass and unnecessarily, uh, unnecessarily mean. I agree with you. Yeah, but sounds... if but if you wrote it, I would apologise. It's the limpest apology I think I've ever heard, George. Okay, I mean, okay. No, I'm not saying so. Uh, well, I, don't remember, I don't remember writing it, but everything I have written in this job is still there. You know, it's not like yeah. it gets deleted or anything. And, fin- so. and Finney couldn't find it when he went looking for it. But I don't think George actually used the word boring. It was like, oh. it, it was it was another way of saying boring, but that was, that was a brief... Okay, well, listen, I mean, you obviously I do remember it, and I don't at all, uh, so I'm not <laughs> denying it. So I think all I can do is apologise. Look, sometimes there are some cricketers about whom uh, I probably haven't been very nice. So if I was Joe Denley, I wouldn't like me, because I, I don't... <laughs> You know, uh, but I, what do you I, say I about would... Joe? What do you say about Joe Denley? Well, I didn't so think he was quite cool. up to it. So, and you know, you have to say it as you see it. What did and... you say about Sibley? I was nice about Sibley. I, I, I thought he was worth. So, you were nice about Sibley. You were nasty about Denley. Okay. Well, I wouldn't say nasty. You know, I, I mean, certainly <laughs> to, to write about someone's character sounds um, gratuitous and unpleasant, unforgivable. I mean, I, 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 I kind of agree with him. I, I, he's won me round to his point of view. What a, what a prick. <laughs> Hey, so, uh, you know, I, I think if, if that's what I wrote, I, I could only apologise. I thought he was just sort of uh, unhappy because, you see, I don't think I've ever been particularly critical of his cricket. But I think he might disagree about that as well. But I don't think that's 
I, I'd be reasonably confident I haven't been. I, I actually, well, I made a point. We've talked about it a bit. I made a point to try and look, because after a, a while, I was just like, you you damned if you do, you damned if you don't go around reading stuff that people write about you. So I just decided after a certain age that I didn't need to read it. And also, you like you, you actually accept, you accept the criticism um, mm. as a player. Like, regardless, you, you have to get your head around it. Because if you don't, you go around picking fights, like I think a few guys do, at the moment with everyone in the room because at some stage people are going to you play a shit shot or you bowl badly that's just the way it yeah. goes and people yeah. are entitled to write that but I actually had a question a semi-serious question for you George did you feel a shift when Trevor Bayliss became England coach about being a bit more open with the media and did that change your perception of players um I, I liked Peter you see before him I I found he was open but over time, I suppose, yes. I, I, I think I might argue that it was uh, more Danny Rubin's era when he started that that made more of a difference uh, and that he encouraged people to be a bit more open, which is definitely the way to go. Just for people who don't know, Danny Rubin being the, the communications man at, uh, at the ECB. And, and he came in and around, what are we talking about, 2015, 16? At the end of the South Africa tour which you remember when England won in South Africa, so James Taylor's last tour, that sort of time. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. So, but but, but, but I, I didn't have a huge issue before that. Some people you uh, get on with and some people you don't. And You know, when you write for Crick Info, because the audience is quite big, you sort of take it for granted that anything you write is going to be read. So generally the rule would be if you're not happy to be confronted by it, don't say it, Yeah. So, so generally that's been the case. But obviously you have days, you have bad days, you have days where you express yourself clumsily, just like you might have days where the ball doesn't come out right, I suppose. And, uh, you know, so if uh, that, that sounds like a pretty horrendous day. Yeah, but, it, but it, interestingly, I think it really raises an interesting point here that, uh, that I've been in press boxes only for the last sort of 12 years. And the attitude towards the England team that got to number one under Andy Flower was one... In the in the country, as well as slightly in the press box, which was that they were they were a bit difficult. You couldn't actually couldn't get to talk to them. They were a bit on their own answers. They weren't like they weren't deemed as likable. Now, people used to then argue: were they not likable because they got to number one, and that was an English trait? Oh well, if your team gets to number one, the English always sort of react badly against them, try to sort of bring them back down to earth. Then you look at the team that there is now and, the, and their openness, and we sort of see people like Chris Wokes, Josh Butler, Joe Root, you know, uh, very comfortable with the media. They may not be the best team in the world, but they appear to be much more likable. George, is that, is, that a, is that a fair assessment? And Billy? No, I don't think you know, so, but I think that a lot of people would agree with you. I mean, you have to remember that sort of that, that team that was number one in the world won. I really liked watching England win because I'd grow, grown up not watching them be great. And so, you know, to go on the Ashes tour where they win three times by an innings, to, to see them win the World T20 in Barbados, to see them win in India, Jesus. So, one, I cut them a lot of slack for that. And two, there were people there that I got on quite well with. You see, I got on all right with KP. I've done a book with Trotty. He's a good friend. Um, you do quite a good impersonation of KP, don't you? I mean, absolutely you... ridiculous. Uh, and I really like Andy and respect Andy as well. So uh, Andy is obviously an intense guy, but I think he's a good guy. 
and and I liked Andy. Look, I always liked Andy. He, uh, you know, he he was very good about phoning up and saying, "I think you've written a rubbish piece," you know. But equally, he was quite good about sending the text if he you'd written a piece which he liked. So he kind of earned the right. So personally, I found that team fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that. You know, I'm 49. I've got children and other friends. I'm not that needy about you know whether. Well, do you know what I mean? So I, don't, I haven't overthought it. But I thought I do, they were but... professional and good and um, pretty decent to deal with, to be honest. I do, but but what I want to talk to you about like, about your style of journalism, though, because you know we we know people in the in the press box who and and I have great admiration and love for them, but not for this particular reason, but who are very energised when England do badly. You you just expressed your excitement at watching England win in Australia, watching the win in India, and you know being an English journalist and being able to witness these things. But we know people who love getting the hatchet out it's much much easier to write the stories when things are going horribly wrong there's a great pleasure in that without naming any names well no because i think that, that... you know, I, I've, I've, i could be accused of that at times and there have been uh there are times when the devil does have the best lines and that um there's a certain macabre ease writing about say the 2015 world cup campaign or the 1314 Ashes tour, you know, it got pretty grim, didn't it? So yeah. I, d- I don't know. I mean, you don't really define yourself by those things for what it's worth. Uh, it's more fun when England are doing well. It feels like an easier, nicer job. And yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's nice to see them win, but you just got to do the job and, and, and tell the truth as you see it. Finny, yeah. Finny, you're, you're now in the commentary role and doing yeah. tremendously well, if I may say so. Are you conscious of the fact that you're playing against these guys you know them what it is that you've got to say or you know how, yeah, how do I you think, approach it when things go wrong well I'm fortunate that I because I'm a current player I there's no pressure on me to be overly critical I don't think and I can also put myself in their shoes as a broadcaster and try and figure out a solution for them to get out of that situation as I would be trying to do if I was them. So I can, I'm lucky and fortunate at the moment that I have that perspective that I can say, okay, this is the problem. If you accept that that's the problem, you can then put a plan in place to do this, which will then bring better results. So I can put a slightly more positive spin on a negative situation just through my circumstances. When I pack up and if I hopefully remain in the media in some capacity then that might be slightly more challenging but by which, well you say challenging it opens up a whole new opportunities I mean you work around people like Michael Vaughan and other uh, people in, in the TMS box and you must be aware that it's it's way more fun basically to go like charging in and you, you'll get the opportunity to do that when you retire I mean I'm look Sussex I'm terribly sorry I'm not trying to call time on Stephen Pinn's career but in two years' time, you will genuinely be able to just go both barrels. Are you not like... I signed a three-year contract, yearning. mate. Calm down. Three? Three? Leave <laughs> it hell. How old are you going to be then? What are they doing? 35. I think everyone thinks well, I'm about 45, though, like Darren Stevens. Well, it's funny you should mention Darren Stevens because I wanted to segue <laughs> straight on to that point. So, Vitality Blast, T20 finals day. Steve-O does it again. 
And more importantly, T20 County Cricket does it again. I want to get you off your long run, George. You were, were you there? Were you at Edgbaston? No, I had, I've had, you could probably hear from my voice, um, a, a very bad cold. I was, you know what I was doing? I was just going to find that piece from 2012. I reckon I could find it in about two minutes. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. So, so what if it doesn't exist? Now I'm scared because of George's reaction. I'm like, have I like made up this thing where George thinks I'm really boring for nine years when actually there was, he never actually did think I was boring. <laughs> that would be something. He might have said. He might have said something about Watford, you know, <laughs> and then you took it to heart because you know what you like about bloody. Watford. Well, I'm actually sweating here. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> he, he genuinely is. He's now taking his hoodie off. He's so. He's no, so my back hot. brace. My oh, back, back brace. Uh, the back brace yeah. is gone. Well, don't tell the physio at Sussex. Oh. So where were we? So yeah, T20 finals day. T20 finals day. I want to talk about this. I missed the second half of it because I was at a wedding uh, at a wedding of a massive cricket fan who should have known better as, as Jim Diamond said I should have known better but he didn't and outrageously uh, I only got to see the first game which was extraordinary and bizarre Somerset winning George's Somerset incidentally mm-hmm. winning from an extraordinary position we, we had some remarkable moments we'll come on to those moments specifically later but just generally as a spectacle having witnessed 100 finals day and the 100 itself t20 finals day still packed out edge baston there were still all the usual popes and bananas and you know seagulls and chips and god knows what else charging about there was still the same febrile atmosphere and the quality of the cricket to what i saw didn't look particularly different if anything there were even more amazing moments George what, what's going on what is, what is going on here cricket's a really good game it doesn't matter if it's played over 100 balls or 100 overs five days or T20 it's a good game and I think if we play it on good wickets and put it on TV maybe so people can watch it price it sensibly people will fall in love with it so I thought yeah that the 100 was largely unnecessary but that's not to say I didn't enjoy watching 100-ball cricket. Yeah, I, I think if the T20 had been, um, I don't know, repackaged a little bit, I'm sure it could have worked absolutely fine. And my worry about the 100, as ever, is that it threatens the 18-county system. Now, lots of people think that would be a good thing. That's reasonable. I don't. So, so that's all. Yeah, a T20 is terrific format. Lots to like. And I thought, yeah, finals day was pretty thrilling and it, and it very often is we see a lot of good cricket I, I, I wasn't surprised by that how do you think the ECB reacts I mean there are conspiracy theorists out there who assume that the ECB want T20 county T20 to fail well I do think that um, yeah I'll give you I'll give you one example and you explain it to me they it, they measure the ticket sales for every other competition yeah when, when they talked about ticket sales for the hundred they say tickets sold or issued did you notice that as the figure? No, I didn't. No, no, no. Because I'm, I'm not like you or okay, Alison okay, Mitchell. So I don't they, do that. You yeah. can trust. You can trust me on this. You can check. When they gave the attendance figures, they say tickets sold or issued, which includes those free ones given away. Doesn't necessarily mean they attended. When they were giving the T20 Blast attendances, they gave attendances, not tickets sold, which means that they got to discount all the rained off matches so in was it 2019 the figure was manipulated so it was below a million why would a governing body 
manipulate a figure to make it lower. Oh, hang on a minute. We're, we're all going to go silent if we're not careful. And, 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 and that, that's dead air is bad. Dead air is bad. Well, I think people who were listening will know the answer. People will know the answer, won't they? Because they don't want it to have been deemed a huge success. Because then it's easier to justify the hundred. And, and you've got to be careful with any debate about 100 that you, you don't want it to become a binary conversation. So I'm going to say again, I quite enjoyed the cricket, quite enjoy all cricket, but I thought it was a huge, unnecessary gamble and it will damage the 18-county system. And I think the more that we learn about it, the more we find out that almost everyone who's been positive about it is benefiting from it in one way, whether they're players who are paid to play in it, nothing wrong with that, journalists who are paid to be positive about it, fine, administrators who get big fat bonuses for administering it. Uh, I don't think there was a huge amount of honesty there. And um, for all the bat packing uh, the uh, ECB gave themselves afterwards, I think all it showed was that uh, if you market our great game and allow people to watch it on free-to-air, people will fall in love with it because it's cricket and it's brilliant. So, Finney, as, as a player who plays in T20... Do you do you feel remotely undermined by the notion that the governing body might be trying to downplay the number of people who are coming to watch you? No, um, like I I think that yeah, George hits the nail on the head there. We're lucky that we've got a great game that people love and want to fall in love with and will fall in love with if they're exposed to it. And naturally, the hundred did do that for people because it had the benefit of being marketed very well and on free-to-air TV for a few of the games. So I think that that's obviously naturally made a big difference. I do think that the 100 in terms of the women's game has done a lot for them that would not have been done in an old system. And again, I know that having the women's games on the same days and stuff at the same grounds made a big difference to those. But I think being able to put them together as the franchise tournament for them has helped and having got to know quite a lot of the girls at the team that I played in Manchester, they said the same thing, that there was just a completely different feel and vibe around it for them. But again, whether with the same investment into a T20 tournament for them that mirrored the men's, would there, um, would it be as good? You know, it's, it's very hard to say. I enjoyed playing in it. I enjoyed playing in it very much. The, the crowds, they felt slightly more boisterous than normal T20 crowds. It definitely felt as though they were behind. And I was lucky. I played for the Manchester team. So the only one that actually was from and named after the city that it was in, um, or no, the London one was as well, but Manchester. Well, no, no, um, no, no. It's, it's North London. It's, yeah, it's L- London spirit. I mean, you know, they don't, they, don't, they don't speak to me, Finney. They don't speak to me in the South. Of course they don't. <laughs> of course no, they don't. No, You're all no. reprobates down in the South. So, yeah, it's difficult for me to say because I did really enjoy playing in it and the the feel of a franchise tournament here in the UK was was really good. Whether it needed to be 100 ball is yet to be seen. But I do I do also agree with George that with with the same investment, I think anyone can fall into love with cricket. But George, you've been really big on this. You've been you've talked about the, the economics of it. Is it working? I mean, you, you've made it really clear that, that you wrote a piece in the cricketer where you said it's cost 50 million, they brought in 40 million. The, yeah, well, that's hype... true. I, I would be a bit nervous about just judging it on economics, actually. But I'll, I'll answer the question, I will. But 
you know, if actually it works in attracting a new audience, which I accept the game needs, then that's okay. That that it's kind of done its job. So it you I, I think it would be a mistake to just judge it financially. But they have said that it created a windfall for cricket, and that's simply a lie. So it, it cost more than 50 million to put on. I mean, it cost quite a lot more than 50 million, but I have actually the ECP's accounts for it, uh, which were leaked. And, and the figure is more than 50 million. And that doesn't include the setup costs. It doesn't include the bonuses. You know, it doesn't include lots of stuff. What it does include is the 1.3 million given to the counties each year for five years, counties and the MCC, for their uh, agreement to allow the competition to take place. The ECB, some of the ECB would say that that shouldn't be counted in the competition's accounts. So that's where the disagreement comes. They would say that it bought in money. It, it's simply not true. Uh, the ECB had huge reserves, £37 million, going back five years or so before the 100 was thought about. And the counties were kept poor to ensure they were kept compliant. Does that make sense? So they were kind of bribed with yep, their own money yep. to get them to yeah, go yeah. along with this. And then the broadcast uh, and all the other money that came in, you know, sponsorship and stuff, uh, added up to something like forty million. Yeah, I think I think it was thirty million from the um, the uh, UK, thirty-three million rings about actually from UK broadcast. I mean, I can tell you, I've got I've got the. the stuff. Do you know what? I will while you're talking. I'll, I'll look it up. So uh, it didn't make money, no, and it, and it's not actually budgeted to do so in this sort of cycle. But that's okay. Which, it's not just yeah. about money. It's about attracting a new audience. But but of Absolutely. course, they're, they're, they're reacting as if you have to be uh, pro the 100 or you're anti a new audience. You know, if you're not pro the 100, you're anti women's cricket. Uh, and, and of course, I would have said for years, as you would have done, we'll just put some bloody T20 on in front of the paywall. That's all it needs. Yes. I mean, you know, I don't come from a cricket loving family, really. Uh, my brother liked it a bit, but I, I just fell in love with cricket because it was on BBC Two every weekend. You know, the Sunday League. That was my gateway drug. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, I know that the world changes and people say that people don't watch TV in the same way. But I'm sure that if you put finals day on, you know, free to air, people would have loved it. And there would have been a generation of new heroes. We all know who starts culture wars, um, George, but we're not going to get into politics today so let's let's get straight into politics and talk about uh, pakistan because you have been writing an article today pakistan new zealand series was called off when new zealand left uh, seemingly abruptly on the eve of the first one day international uh, it caused a great deal of consternation uh, a lot of pakistan fans desperately wanted to see new zealand there new zealand had traveled there after all i believe it am i right in saying it's reg Dickerson, who used to be the advisor, the security advisor for the England team, he still is, is with, yeah. and is with the New Zealand team at the moment. And they he, does, he, does them all. he does them all. So does he does all. the he does the PSL as well. He's very respected. Yeah. Well, I, he, he, I had an extraordinary conversation with him when I went to Bangladesh in 2016, when Owen Morgan and um, Alex Hales didn't go, in which he explained the security situation. He's a very, very believable, trustworthy honest kind of guy, Reg. Well, we and went on that tour, didn't we? We were terribly we brave. Did. We did. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, not remotely brave because we were surrounded by a ring of steel as we, <laughs> we drove through empty streets. I remember, well, I, I remember because I think I'm right in saying that was your yeah. first tour. It was my first tour, yeah. And I remember your first meal. I don't know what time oh, yeah. of day you arrived, but you had your first breakfast. breakfast and I remember yeah. on your plate you had beef booner Something yeah. chocolate pancake, 
yeah. and, a, and a glass of wine. I thought that was a ballsy breakfast. I remember wow. thinking that. that that's yeah, the way at, to start a tour. When you're, at, when you're in a Radisson surrounded by a ring of steel and you can eat whatever you want without fear of people attacking you with scimitars, you're obviously going to eat whatever the hell you can from a giant buffet. I even, look, I got so confident I ate the sushi at breakfast, which apparently is not entirely recommended in inland Bangladesh. But it was, it was delicious and uh, no harm came to me. So that's my advice to all people travelling to the subcontinent. But let's talk about Pakistan because that Pakistan would have been so desperate for this tour to take place and it did happen at the last minute. But the New Zealand team obviously received credible information or but information that they believed to be credible enough for them to feel that they needed to leave. So, uh, George, do you have any news on this? Yeah, a bit. So the New Zealand team received a threat today, the New Zealand women's team, that their hotel in Leicester was going to be bombed and they have ignored it. I mean, they've decided that it came from a nutter, uh, which it might well have done, but who knows? Who knows when it's the nutter and who knows when it isn't? But as I understand it, the British High Commission in Pakistan and uh, Reg, this security co uh, company, it's, I think it's ESI Risk, it's called, and the Foreign Office have all not changed their advice for the England team, which is basically with the protocols in place, which are the same protocols that were used by the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge when they visited Pakistan, they reckoned it was safe to go. So, you know, with the proviso that everyone should have the, the right to, to back out of these tours if they want to, I think it's a missed opportunity and I, I, I think it's uh, really damaging for Pakistan. Sorry, are you, are you saying that the, the, the risk that was that was made clear to the New Zealanders was, is, is one that shouldn't apply to England. They, yeah. They, yeah, really? That's, that's the information we have, yeah. Well, yeah. that's so, so I, I, so if you If you look at the England statement, the ECB statement today, it doesn't really talk about security as being the primary issue. It talks about anxiety and pressure and, and the fear of, um, you know, all the issues around security does that make sense so the, the idea that it's been in the news so therefore people will be anxious and i think that's completely reasonable why wouldn't you be uh, so, so i'm not i'm not minimizing it i'm just saying that there is a distinction in the same way that india they didn't go home because of an outbreak of covid they went home because of fear of an outbreak of covid do, do you get that distinction i i, I absolutely I, okay. I absolutely okay. get that distinction. But it's similar here i think but i think it's a real missed opportunity and i think england have to be aware that they have asked the world and their mother to do them a lot of favors in the last 18 months or so and they've now abandoned tours of South Africa, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and we don't know what's happening with the ashes. And I think that friends are going to be in short supply next year. So I think that that's on one on one level, there's that sort of um, worrying about yourself issue. On the other level, I just thought that Pakistan's really suffered, hasn't it? And, and that it's a cricket-mad country. And they did England a hell of a favour last year, coming in pandemic Britain, before there were vaccines, they were promised they could quarantine in the Hyatt in Birmingham. They got the travel lodge in Derby. We haven't been very fair to them. And uh, they were promised a tour that only lasted four days. I mean, it's a city break, Norky. It's not a tour. Yeah. And um, and we've pulled out of it. And, I, I, yeah, I really regret that. But with the proviso that, you know, well, I would have gone. In fact, I am going to go. I'm going to go to Pakistan in the next few weeks. But with the Does proviso... Does Rich Dickerson know that you're going? And more importantly, do the credible threats to the New Zealand team know that you're going? 
Yeah, and I'm well, in New Zealand. They do now. And I'm in New Zealand too, aren't I? Oh, oh. crikey. Oh, um, crikey. Yeah, so I think I think a few people will go in the next few weeks. And I think actually, you know, world cricket hasn't been very collegiate in recent times. And I think that's a shame. We talk a great game about um, everyone needing a strong global game. But actually, the richer countries seem as selfish as ever. And I thought that we had a bit of a responsibility there to, to, to go to not just repay uh, the faith that Pakistan showed in England last year, but also, you know, kind of reward and encourage and nurture that love of cricket that exists there. You know, as I say, it was, it was a four-day tour. But, Benny, I've got to ask you, England, I suppose quite famously, I mean, it was mentioned by Ravi Shastri, wasn't it? Um, continued the tour of India after the terrorist attacks that took place there when Kevin Peterson was captain, I believe. So, I mean, do you think that there's a bit of a double standard going on here that England's prepared, well, I say England, England, Australia and India are prepared to go to each other's countries when all sorts of things happen. I mean, you know, 7-7 happened in 2005 on the eve of the Ashes, the most famous Ashes series in living memory. Uh, the largest terrorist incident in London <laughs> to that Aust- point to take place. Australia played in London three days later. And they, exactly. Is is this a little bit about money? Is this a little bit about India, Australia and uh, England? So I do think it's a shame that the three big countries run world cricket pretty much. I mean, and, and I'm not as well versed in the politics of it or actually I haven't delved into it that much but it's quite obvious from an outsider looking in that that India Australia and England do run world cricket and the other countries are sort of sometimes left to fend for themselves which I think is a shame for countries such as Pakistan the West Indies who don't have the infrastructure to be able to make it a success I think I from my experiences, I there was only ever one tour that was a security threat for me, and that was Bangladesh in 2016. And Reg Dickerson told us it was safe, so we went, and, and that was it, and you trusted his opinion. So, yeah, and, and this is the first that I've heard um, of what George has said there because I've not read that much about it. So I'm going to sit firmly on the fence here. But if um, if I've been in that position before, I listened to the advice and at that time, it was the security advice of Reg Dickerson to to go. So I went and carried uh, the drink. Re- I, I was, <laughs> you did. I, I was at that tour, and as as we mentioned before, and I remember ringing him up because I thought I ought to. I was I was going to go on the tour anyway. So Adam Mountford said, "People are available for you to speak to if you're worried about the security situation." So I rang up, and uh, the person who spoke to me said, "Look, Dan, what it's all about is." A bunch of Muppets slashed up some people in a bakery in Dhaka once in July. They even ran out of bullets after six. Uh, they only killed six people with bullets. And after that, they had to smash people with scimitars. These guys are bloody amateurs. And I thought, this sounds great. So rather than being shot in the head, I'm going to be torn to pieces with scimitars by amateurs. Does this make me feel any more comfortable? But actually, it kind of <laughs> did. Because... And it was a very good point, because the point was that it was alone, an individual terrorist attack that had taken place in Dhaka. And we got very concerned about the security situation and then had a ring of steel around us. I mean, George will testify. 
We all went out in the same convoy, six or seven buses. All the roads in Chittagong and Dhaka were completely cleared and they're normally impossible to get through. And we arrived into a virtually empty stadium and watched yeah. cricket. I mean, I, I played in Pakistan. I, I went to, for the PSL final three years ago, I went to Pakistan and experienced the, the, the buses that can only go 25 mile an hour because the glass and the outside of it is so thick and the helicopters that line the streets and literally not a car on the road. You can't see a person from your convoy. There's no, there's literally nothing. I think a journey that would usually take an hour through the middle of Karachi took us 10 minutes because we just whizzed down the roads. But I mean, what I would say is you would hope and I, and I do think like knowing quite a few guys in the England team that the decision wouldn't be taken lightly as if it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a flippant, right. Well, we're just not going. You, you would hope that. And I'd like to believe that is the case. Can, can I can I interrupt you? Could, yes, you can. Have you found, found it? Yeah, I've, I have found it. Is it is this the article? Is this the article that you allegedly wrote? I just sent it to all of you. Could you not just read it out for us? The, the same. I can. Passage. I mean, I. I, uh, I mean, I in your think... own words, George. In your own words, because it'll be you'll feel so much better for saying it. And I Finney... don't love it. I don't love it. So um, right. there is a stifled groan. When Stephen Finn appears to talk to the UK media, I'll admit that's not a great start. It's not that Finn is unfriendly or unpopular, far from it. More that, well, his press conferences can be a little bland. Bear with me. Bland was the word, I think. That's not to say Finn is bland in everyday life. By all accounts, he is fine, easy-natured company with a sharp wit and ready smile. Doesn't seem so bad. But compared to some of his England colleagues, the likes of Graham Swallow, KP, Finn offers the media very little in the way of soundbites. And why should he? Finn's job, and it's a job he is becoming very good at, is to take the new ball for club and country and dismiss opposition batsmen. It goes on. It's fine. I thought the last sentence there, I thought the last sentence there was going to be in his job is to carry the drinks around the world for the England <laughs> team. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the piece you mean, isn't it? No, that is almost, yeah, definitely is. Was that on the tour of Dubai in 2012? Yeah, there we go. God, Finney, you are really, really precious, aren't you? I mean, he's actually been really nice. He's been really quite nice. Oh, I know. He says, I know, but I have my guard up at the time. By all accounts, by all accounts, I mean, all right, okay, so he's not, doesn't know, and he's like (laughs) pretending that other people are saying it, but by all accounts, you're a quite nice fellow. You know, you're you're witty, you're charming, you're smart. and, And he's also pointing out that, although what he could have done is he could have said, and he's also only 23. So what are we expecting from him at this age? For Christ's yeah, sake. You I, would, done I, that, would have been, I would have been, I, I can imagine now, if I'd have listened to my press conferences, because sometimes now when I'm in the commentary box with people like you, Dan, and I'm yeah. listening to someone talk after the game, and I'm like, just give us something that we can talk about for 10 more minutes here, please. And I'd imagine right. if you guys were sat in the press box when I was doing it, you'd be like, oh, for God's sake, I've, I've got to completely manufacture something here for 10 minutes or for my article the and next day. And it's totally unreasonable to expect you to do that. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a rubbish, it's a rubbish piece of it in there, of course. Oh, my God. Your, 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 your basic point is right, but I hope it's not quite as bad as you remembered. No, of course not. It has happened (laughs) recently, actually. I'd written about um, Dominic Sibley, and the first half of it was all about kind of how unattractive he was to watch. And the second half was all about how he was just what England needed 
He was fantastic. And either he or his agent or someone had only read, read the first half where I compared him to an aardvark. And, and then they fire off the angry email, yeah, or text or whatever it was. And it's like, read it. I, it's a love letter to Don Sibley, for God's sake. But anyway, so I've got to learn. So uh, you know, anyway, the apologies still stand. I mean, it, 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 it was a rubbish piece. Well, you say, you say that. You say that. You say that. I, th I, think what, I think the lesson of today is that cricketers should read the entire article before getting really upset and then, like, go through a whole load of life experiences and come out the other side and then forgive their journalists. And the journalist should also beg for that forgiveness back. And that way we will reach Rapprochement. And this hey, is I'll a tell you, I'll tell you moment, what, I think. I'll tell you what uh, cricketers... Uh, am I agreed? Should, yeah. What cricketers should realise, but, but it's our journalist's job to show it, is how much everyone in the press box wants them to succeed. I promise you that is the case. Isn't that right, Norby? Oh, well, yes, it is, uh, extraordinarily. I mean, everybody thinks that what we're after is complete failure because so that we can have an enormous amount of fun. But actually, uh, we can't help being slightly impartial. Because, and part partial, of it is because... Brother. Partial. Um, partial. Yes, partial, yes. Yes, yes. We, we, the opposite we, of what we, you said. That's exactly what I meant. That's exact. That is, yeah. That's Words, the BBC training. That's, no, that's that's the BBC training, George. You see, you get like taught to say, "I am going to be impartial," right. but you can't. You can't be. How can you possibly be impartial when they actually sit, you know, Chris Wokes next to you during yeah. a T Twenty Finals day, and then he goes out and plays cricket? You can't not want him to succeed no, because he's so monster. lovely. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, it'd be like you'd be a kitten drowner. It's, it's the case happen. with all of them, though, because, <laughs> because because basically you're watching kids up to some extent. That's not meant to sound patronising, but but people who are younger than my kids sometimes or often now do something that I wish I could do. You know, uh, yeah. there's a lot of reason to be writing with a lot of humility. We've got a lot to, to be humble about. So uh, there's there's uh, yeah, that maybe we should make that clearer sometimes in our. But, you know, also, we're also not writing a fanzine. I don't know, it's a difficult balance. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's so hard, George. I mean, and that's what makes it uh, challenging and fun. Uh, and also, <laughs> you know, from the cricketer's perspective, we have to learn that, and this is actually something that now I think if I was to go and play miraculously, start bowling 90 mile an hour again and bowl them somewhere straight and play international cricket again, I think I'd be far more accepting of the fact that everyone has opinions and it's not personal. I think I was very guilty of taking things personally in the first half of my career. And now I'm over that. And you realize it once you've been around people and you work with them, you realize that people do actually want the England team to do really well. Okay. Can I, can I just finish this part of bringing you both together so that the beef is gone? Yeah, we do have to have a virtual hug now. No, no, no. I'm going I'm <laughs> to give, give you the virtual hug and I'm going to tell you how you do it. George, you said to me two very moving things about Finney when we spoke earlier today on the telephone. You spoke about India in 2012 yeah, and you spoke right. about Ashley Giles. And I'd, I'd like you to tell both those stories now to Finney. <laughs> and, and I think at the end of it, if both of you aren't crying, it'll be extraordinary. Well, um, well I... I think that what you're referring to is, <clears throat> I remember you bowling on the 2012 tour in India. Fuck, you were bowling quick. And I uh, went out into middle practice. You were bowling at the mitt with Gilo and Stuart Meeker. 
the Stuart's quick, yeah. And oh my God, it seemed so much quicker. It was thumping up, and China was taking it. And 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 you had bowled at some under nineteen uh, captain in the nets. Does that ring a bell? I can't remember. Were we in Ahmedabad? Yeah. No. Do you know who? I, do you know who I, it might have been? It might have been Joe Root. Like, I know. I think in, it was I, an Indian player. Oh, an Indian player. Sorry, but Does I think in the same test match. In the same, I reckon it would have been the same test match. Yeah, as right. I bowled to Root, Root in the nets, and because I, I vaguely remember that. As, oh no, not vaguely. I vividly remember bowling at Root there. And it was, it was, Jesus, it was real proper fiery stuff. Brilliant. And then, I, yeah, I'm afraid, I do also remember, I'd had a very late night in Sydney and you were at practice on your own in the nets and you had one ball, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, and you were, and you didn't look like the same person. And it also looked, you know, Trotty had already gone home on that tour. It looked as if uh, someone needed to say to you, go to the fucking pub. Because that, that's yeah. what, do you know what I mean? Rather than try and force your way through it, try and work harder all the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it looked like you had no rhythm at all and it looked like you were there early and you were trying desperately hard. You know, there's no lack of effort. And um, I don't think Gilo meant to stitch you up at all. He, he was meaning to be honest and actually kind of kind. He hmm. just maybe was a bit too public with it. But I, he, he What did he say? What did he, he say, George? The, the expression was unselectable, wasn't it? But he didn't yeah. mean unselectable like, I, I don't think he meant it unkindly. I think he meant to be like, you know, he's a low ebb, as pretty much everyone has gone through that phase at some stage in their career, no doubt, uh, including Gilo. And um, and he just meant to be, meant to, you know, take you out the firing line, I think. But anyway, the, the, the difference in those sorts of moments was uh, horrendous. And I don't know what the answers are in, in those situations. Anyway, those are kind of rubbish memories for you. <laughs> Finny, <laughs> how, how do you respond to those uh, wonderful no, and rubbish I, memories? Well, yeah, I, I prefer I prefer the wonderful one naturally because the other one, the other one wasn't or was actually the, yeah the worst time of my career. But you, the the challenge, and actually, it sort of goes hand in hand with not quite hand in hand. But if you're reading the press and you're high and then you're low. And you're high and you're low. You become so turbulent on your path through your career that you, you're not very adept at being able to deal with the things that are thrown at you. So actually, one of the things that came of me um, going home and that unselectable tag that I got tagged with, um, and I, I agree with you. I don't think Jilo meant it in a nasty way. I think it was to be kind to send me home to sort myself out. And had I been more brave and admitted how I was feeling and what I was going through, I'd have sent my home self home probably two and a half months earlier than I did, but I didn't want to feel like I was throwing the towel or giving up. But I think, yeah, those, those moments in my career are things that when I was younger, I didn't deal very well with because when I was good, I thought I was really good. But when I was bad, I thought I was really, really bad. So the thing that came as a result of me getting through that tricky period was just trying not to read the press and remain as level as I possibly could. Do you know, I feel that we've achieved something Really special time. <laughs> so, am I right? You make it sound like I've got to tell a bloody no, private detective no. to go around to George's house and knock him off or something. No, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's not, not that bad. No, no, it, it, it is that bad. I mean, two titans of cricket. And, and you're going to be sharing many, many 
press boxes for years and years to come. George, despite leaving Crick Info after 10 years, an incredible stint, will be back. He'll be around. He'll be doing what he does. And you, Finney, you'll be ubiquitous. And I, and I felt that it was important that these two great men should come together. And I feel that I've achieved something tonight that perhaps, you know, will only really come to fruition in the years to come. Um, and for that, I thank you both, as Jimmy Carter would have done. Well done, Moshi. Well done, Yassir. I'd see a bright future for at least 10 or 15 years until it all breaks apart again over some misconceived slight. What was he saying just then? I didn't catch it through his sneeze. Who knows? But it's time for us to wrap up. It's been joyful having you both uh, uh, tonight, as usual. I've got to remind everyone that the live show, the live show, right? It says here, and it's in italic, so it's really important. Don't forget we're doing a live show Saturday the 13th of November. Can you do anything to help us there, uh, George? 5 p.m. at the Odeon Leicester Square. Odeon Leicester Square. Go to Ticketmaster and search for Zero Ducks Given. I've already had somebody ask us for VIP tickets, and I'm not kidding. Genuinely real. Who? Well, Sharon, who, who, who would like to meet you, I think. She wants to meet you and Toby. She knows me already, so she can't really? want to spend extra money on me. But What am I going to have we're... to do for a VIP ticket then? What, what does that entail? So Sharon, I mean, just I think you know, talk through the whole noble thing, the uh, the knocking the bail off. And she's pretty good, and, and she's a big football fan. So Watford, she's a QPR fan. Watford QPR, you must have some tales to tell there in the lower <laughs> reaches of English football. <laughs> That's my first day of uh, unemployment, by the way, thirteenth of November. Is it? Yeah. Well, come along. We'll see you there. <laughs> Yeah, I'll sell a big issue at the door. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, what mind? do you think? <laughs> we haven't asked, maybe asked you about that. On that bombshell, Finney, it's the end for tonight. I don't know how to wrap up. How does Toby wrap up? I can't remember. I think Goodbye, he just George. says, he just says, no, thanks, George, for his time tonight. Because usually, he? George, it only takes 45 minutes. It took us about an hour and a half with Norcross running this I, absolute I, shit I, show. I've spoken to Norky before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know, I'm, 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 you know, I talk a lot. So it's, it's rain breaks, isn't it? All that. Goodbye. Is that what we do? Goodbye. Well, good. I, I feel, I feel this has been very helpful. I, I, I do I actually. Genuinely, I was very tired before we started. It's quite late, isn't it? It's, it's after eleven, and I'm it's quite hungover from yesterday. Absolutely. And, and and actually, it's been quite nice because um, the world feels a slightly less hostile place. <laughs> of course, it does because you made up with Finny. Isn't it yeah. lovely? Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank me later. <laughs> oh, Goodbye, all. A good, and, and, and we look forward to the next week's edition of. Uh, who knows what's happening next week? But we'll be doing it with. Wrap whoever it up it is for fuck's sake! Yeah, I'm trying to wrap it up. I'm, try, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to wrap it up. Stop recording! <laughs> Just stop recording! Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.